Thank you for tuning into this episode of Question This Life. You can listen to the podcast at questionthislife.com as well as all of the main podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe and get involved. Hey everyone and welcome back to Question This Life. It's nice to have you here. Thank you for tuning into the show. I apologize in advance and this might be a little bit of an issue in this episode. I have a couple of cats running around and uh, they're deciding that this is the time they're going to be most noisy, which is typical, but there you go. Cats are conscious beings that might even be in many ways uh, superior to humans. Maybe they are the gods walking around the earth. Who knows, man? If you into that kind of stuff and a little bit of the weird conversations, then definitely listen to a couple of the other episodes um, on the show. There's one called What's Behind a Cat's Eyes, where I kind of get into that a little bit deeper. As usual, I'm going to split the show into two sections. The first section is catching up with your host. I'll tell you a little bit about the week gone by and a couple of things that are on my mind, some reflections and so on. And the second part of the show is the more esoteric, deep thinking side, where this week we're going to cover a lot of information that has been shared over the last five, ten years regarding unfinished monuments that keep getting found all over the world, especially in Egypt, that are of a colossal size. We're talking stone monuments that are like thousands and thousands of tons big, many of them finished, many of them unfinished, and it really is quite an incredible situation um, that's unfolding in terms of our past, all of these anomalies, all of these ridiculously huge stone megalithic structures that keep getting found, that keep getting unearthed and don't seem to get smaller, they seem to get bigger. Every single time something is dug up and investigated, it seems to be bigger than it ever was before. So um, more on that in the second part, you can always go into the show notes and see the timestamp for when the first part ends and the second part starts. So if you're not so interested in the week recap and you just want to get into the more ancient civilization part of the podcast, then you know what to do. Just scroll down, look at the text, find the number and skip yourself over to there. So with that in mind, let's keep going with the first part of the show. A look at the week gone by. So you're not going to be hearing this, but I'll be clipping in and out a little bit because of my uh, the cats. They're making a lot of noise. They're ruffling around some boxes and stuff. And if it just gets a bit too much, I've got to kind of go over there, give them a little pet, give them some food. Um, periodically. So if this podcast sounds a little bit stop and start, apologies. So yes, how has the last week gone then? It's been a good week, um, a very busy one in terms of stuff going on. One of the biggest projects I'm working on right now is a comedy sports show. I'm collaborating with a fellow comedian and we spent the last couple of weeks filming and 
taping ourselves, having conversations, uh, watching sporting events, watching wrestling events and riffing, you know, just having fun, creating some content. And that process has been really enjoyable. And I'm really looking forward to how that starts to crystallize into a show with a niche and a shtick and a plan to move forward. We've already got a name. We've got the uh, basic concept. We've already filmed some raw content. And now the, the process starts essentially to come up with something unique, you know, actually create something that's valuable, that's going to want to be watched and enjoyed by hopefully a lot of people. Um, this is a piece of content. It's a project that I'm really looking forward to continuing and that I'm quite interested to see how it goes because this is a very, very uh, digestible, easygoing content format you know it's i'm sure it will have its serious points but all in all it's it's an entertainment show about sports and sports entertainment and memorabilia nostalgia and it's me and a silly mate of mine and we're, we're, we just keep things usually quite silly when we hang out so that's basically what we're going for i'm very looking forward to seeing how that all pans out um, this is something that I really had to digest and kind of understand is that nowadays you can't just have a show where it's just a couple of people talking or, you know, you're just going to wait for it to grow organically, even though it, there's no kind of angle or shtick or plan. It's just sort of, you know, let's put these funny people in a room and then just get them to talk to each other. That's might work, but the advice that I'm hearing from a lot of the leaders out there in the podcasting world, in the content creation world, is that people expect more. They expect uh, uh, an actual show. They want to tune in and watch something. They want, you know, recurring themes, recurring characters, recurring names. They want to feel part of the, the show. They want to kind of be part of your audience. So we don't want to fall down that trap. And it's another reason why this podcast has become a lot more formulaic. There's in, in terms of the structure being in two parts, having a nice clear intro, a little bit of music in the middle. I'm, I'm using similar workflows and so on in the editing. I've increased the capacity of my equipment and my understanding of the software and so on. And all of that has come because I want this show to be an enjoyable thing that people will stumble upon, get absorbed by some interesting topic that maybe they've heard about, maybe they haven't heard about it. They'll maybe formulate their own opinion. They'll maybe start to research and to do to to look into something that, you know, they've they've maybe wondered about or it's the first time they're ever hearing it, whatever the journey might be. And then someone might just go down a couple of interesting information tunnels and then find themselves as a more knowledgeable, more open-minded person on the other side. And if that just happens, that's happened to me in my path, in my uh, situation, that's happened to me multiple times. That's what I'm all about, is expanding the mind, expanding uh, consciousness, and really kind of coming to terms with what's going on. So as much as is possible. And then also, to some extent, learning to accept it and learning not to take things too seriously, to live in a place of abundance and love and compassion. And that's what is essentially the purpose of this show, is to inspire and educate and get people involved in these 
interesting topics to whatever extent they are supposed to be involved in them. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting time right now for content creators because gone are the days of just being able to put something together very quickly, slapdash, get it up and just kind of start start from scratch and, you know, build an audience and all these kinds of things. You have to, from the beginning, have some form of a structured idea or at least the beginning of a creative idea that has come from your heart, from your experience, from your soul, so to say. And that's what's going to make you stand out, as well as your spark on the show, as well as the quality of the conversation, the quality of the guests, if you have guests, your branding, your, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a cocktail, but a big part of it nowadays is the shtick. What is your angle? What are you saying? What is your opinion? How are things kind of um, coming together? Why are they coming together like that? That's, that's what people kind of seem to expect in shows nowadays. So this is a principle that I've put into all of the things that I've got in practice. And it's definitely something that correlates with a lot of the advice that I was given and the things that I picked up early on in my freelancing career with the online business. It's very much a case of defining yourself, creating a, a strong profile, a strong portfolio, showing people that you can help clients to get good results, to increase their exposure, to grow their brand, whatever it is that, that you can actually do for someone, you have to crystallize that as a vision, as a motto, as something that you can keep going back to. It doesn't matter how big your business is, even if it's just you selling things as a freelancer, it's no use putting a profile up that's just generic and can be lost in the sea of other profiles that you know, don't, don't have a lot of uh, heart and soul put into them. You've really got to differentiate at the moment if you want to earn money online. And it's, it's not actually that challenging to differentiate. You just have to put the wheels in motion and put the effort in. And then it's, it's actually quite straightforward. Um, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a parabola. So it exponentially gets easier once you have more projects, more work. And I guess the same would be to say, once you have something of an audience to grow it, or once you have the first project you get in the freelancing world to get your next one, it, you know, the, the, the hardest thing is to actually put the bit of thought in at the beginning and also get it up and running. The hardest thing is to just get it up and running. That's definitely the hardest thing to go from having nothing to having something and then optimizing that something. That's the key thing. You can't just rest on your laurels and just expect people to find you, expect people to follow you, what you're doing. So it's interesting now, it's a good segue to move into what I'm up to today. So I have, I'm sitting right now in a living room studio situation. So I've, I'm able to convert my living room into a recording studio for filming my projects where I'm on camera, sometimes as a spokesperson, sometimes doing a tutorial, doing an MC job, a hosting job, whatever the job is. Um, I sort of, I'm very fortunate to be able to live in a time where you can get a lot of bang for your buck in terms of equipment 
and nowadays you can convert any kind of space into something that you could film in you know I, I say that with a slight caveat of course there are some places that you can't but there's it's amazing to me what you can achieve with what you've got very often and and people seem to kind of discount that everyone's always keen to get a bigger space or to get better equipment or to get you know starting off to buy the absolute best camera the absolute best lights the absolute best studio space and spend a lot of money um, when really you just need the bare bones all you need to do is find out exactly what the bare bones are in to in order to be to create something that's possible as a good product start doing that a little bit and then upgrade you don't need to be aiming you don't need to get lost in the lofty ambitions of someone who will create something that's perfect the first time it's okay if the first few times are not perfect they're just good and then they can be improved um so that's something that i've a cornerstone of all of the work that i've done and the thing that um i think has helped me differentiate from other people is that the quality has always been good i've always had a focus on making sure that the product I'm making is as good as possible, being a professional in liaising with the client, and then also upgrading things as and when I could. So a lot of that was to do with improving the quality of the product or also as important, improving my workflow in terms of creating products, in terms of creating content. Um, say, for example, I've, you know, I've had the same audio recorder that I've started with when I first started making audio content many, many years ago, and it, I still use it. It's still perfectly good. You, you're not limited in terms of memory because it takes a SD card. And of course you can just buy big, massive SD cards now. And you're only limited by the power of your batteries because it takes batteries. So I have really, really high power rechargeable batteries and a, uh, a decent sized memory card and then it just plugs uh, you can plug a, a decent quality lapel microphone into it and boom there you go this is the the setup that you need to create a base level high quality product i could treat the room that i'm in better for the sound i could put some soundproofing on the walls i could make sure that there's more cushioning perhaps rethink a little bit of the construction even in this room but I'm limited by the fact that A, I don't own the place where I live, I'm renting. So any kind of fundamental changes like that might cost me money in the long run or might just be a sunk cost the minute I move. So that's not necessarily a good idea. And B, this is also my living room. So I wanna keep it as a sort of half and half at most, half studio, half living room, and not kind of like overtake this one kind of key part of the flat for simply work purposes. It's nice to have a living room within which to live as well. Um, at the beginning, when I started filming in this room, I did have to overtake it with the filming equipment. I would just set it all up and, you know, basically lock the door and put the sofa, you know, on a completely, diff un a, a completely different part of the room where it wouldn't be able to be sat on. And then kind of move the TV and all this kind of stuff. So it didn't resemble anything like a living room but I had the space kind of um, mapped out and so on for my video. Well, now I can split the room in two essentially and have a living room set up with the couch, with the TV, everything all set up as, as 
you might have it in a normal living room. And then on the other half of the room, there's my little kind of studio space that's very specifically set out in such a way to maximize the space and create the, the illusion of depth and uh, warm lighting and, and, you know, this contrast between bright and warm light that looks so good on videos in a space that's actually quite small. I film a lot of my videos with a high quality camera phone and a very, very basic mass-produced lighting system with actually quite dim lights, which was a huge limitation on the first part of the content that I started creating. But recently I was able to reinvest some of the earnings I had from the freelance work and I bought some really, really good studio lights. So that's just upped my quality. It's upped my um, speed in the editing because the lighting's usually kind of spot on first time. And all of that means more work, more investment to upgrade things and so on and so on. And that's how it builds. So it's just kind of nice to be recording this podcast whilst sitting, recording this podcast that is um, an outlet for my inner monologue and my thoughts and the things that are kind of, you know, a part of my life right now, as well as looking into these interesting, esoteric, symbolic, ancient civilization related topics that I find so fascinating. All the while, I'm also sitting in the studio set where I'm about to film something that's a paid piece of work for a client that's taken a long time to kind of build and uh, grow that sort of um, base and so on. So it's times like these where I just feel so grateful. I feel so grateful, so humbled, so challenged, and I'm just so, so grateful really for the opportunities that we have now with in terms of technology, in terms of connectivity, in terms of uh, equipment. It's just so, anything is possible basically. It's up, up to you, the, the levels of the ceiling that you can reach in terms of content creation, growing an audience, um, you know, earning your own financial freedom, becoming a sovereign individual. All of these things are up to you and really you just have to use the tools that are available nowadays get some elbow grease in there and some effort and you will be able to make it happen so that's kind of like my my 10 cents this morning feeling obviously quite pumped up quite motivated and uh, so so be it very very easy for me to remember a time which was a few years ago now but it's not that long ago where I was you know huddled up under a duvet in my old cupboard at an old flat I used to live in recording a podcast series for my first ever voiceover client using the equipment I had at the time which was a lot more basic and a duvet over my head sweating in the summer reading out thousands and thousands and thousands of words it was a veterinary client it was a client who's um, who was trying to educate or re-educate vet practitioners and the the word content the stuff that I actually had to say the lexicon that was part of the scripts was so complex and it was really really difficult to do those voiceovers and I had loads of them and they were very very poorly paid I, I almost didn't make any money on that I you know I didn't quite lose money but it was I didn't really make much of a dent at all the, the purpose of that project was just to get the ball rolling. It was the first thing that I won and I just wanted to get a five-star rating and to do a good job. So I spent hours and hours and hours on it without 
earning any money. But all of those hours kind of like went to the towards the time uh, that I'm in now, where the the projects are more enjoyable. The content is something that I'm creating that I've written myself. It's being done using. It's still not state of the art, super duper crazy equipment, but it's it's better than you know what it was before, and that's all it is. It's just a progression on what it was before. It's the cornerstone of making good content and keeping the um, constant eye on improvement and, you know, taking time once in a while to take stock and be grateful and to understand how far things have come. So, yeah, it really is uh, truly humbling and I'm feeling very grateful and positive today. With that all said, that's the end of part one of this show. In part two, we'll be looking at massive megalithic stone structures that are being uncovered in Egypt and beyond, talking a little bit about what that means, how they got there, why they got there, what the mainstream are saying, what the alternative are saying, and also a big shout out to Ancient Architects, who is a wonderful content creator and someone that I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this podcast. So we'll get into all of that and a lot more in the second part. So See you then. So, welcome to part two of this episode of Question This Life. Like I said in the outro to part one, a big part of this second part of today's show is going to be dedicated to and has had a lot of insight and input from a wonderful YouTube channel that's available for all to see, and that is Ancient Architects. If you haven't ever seen a video by Ancient Architects, then... By all means, go on YouTube, find Ancient Architects. I will put the link in the show description. And just go to videos and then sort by most popular, for example, or look at some of his playlists or uh, just kind of scroll down and have a look at the, the stuff he's been posting over the last few years. And you will come across a plethora of awesome, awesome videos Really, really, really well put together videos narrated by an expert on the topic. He is someone who has opened my eyes and opened my mind into a lot of the ancient mysteries with with a sort of major focus in terms of lost ancient high technology and these massive, massive, massive structures all over the world that seem to defy our current understandings of matter and architecture and building and so on and confront us and stare at us completely in a way that's completely anomalous in a way that just makes absolutely no sense if you're willing to use a critical eye to look at them now um, I would definitely say that ancient architects as a channel is one where the host is very open to changing his opinion and that's something I've seen throughout the journey of watching this content creator. And that's something that I very much admire because that's a huge part of this show. I think it's in the very first episode that I spoke very um, 
strongly about how the cornerstone of this show will always be keeping an open mind and being willing to question your beliefs and questioning everything and everything that comes with it. And that is something that at times, of course, when you change your opinion, you might have a little bit of a, a feedback response that's not excellent. And if you just keep to the same opinions in order to appease yourself or to appease some other party, then that's not good either. So it's, in my opinion, it's a better idea to be open to things and to change your opinions as and when they should be changed or, or at least question them. Um, there are certain opinions on that channel that have changed over time that I don't currently agree with, but it does not at, at all detract from the quality of the show in my eyes and how much I appreciate it. And every single video that is put out is done with a real thinking and it's obviously a very, very um, engaged and um, intelligent expert who's narrating the content. As I've also seen um, him appear on podcasts and um, he's popped up in a few different videos as well on camera and he really is just an awesome dude. So shout out to um, Ancient Architects and Matt, the host. And I really, really would love one day to have the opportunity to speak to Matt and to exchange ideas and so on. Um, and I'm hugely grateful that this channel exists and that it has given me so many insights and so many um, interesting concepts to to grapple with in terms of the ancient past and what might be a forgotten episode in human history. So that's just a general plug. Go watch Ancient Architects. Go submerge yourself in that channel, in that library of awesome content. And one recent thing that's been published a lot on that channel is a number of recent, I say recent, fairly recent discoveries from the last 5, 10, 20 years that are being publicized now in the online world. And they are in the Acorus site in Egypt, where there's a 1,500 ton unfinished obelisk and colossus in the bedrock, as well as huge unfinished blocks in another site called Zayat al-Sultan, also in Egypt. And that one contains blocks upwards of 2,000 to 3,000 tons. These are like single piece blocks and single piece statues cut from bedrock that were underway, that had been started, that have been clearly begun as a project, and for whatever reason, just left, left behind. So had they had they completed the project, very likely that the stone would no longer be there. Of course, it would have been moved, used in the function that it was meant to be used in, decayed over many, many years, and then we would either have that artifact or not. The incredible thing about these unfinished artifacts in terms of these megalithic stone structures around the world, especially in Egypt, is that they're just there. The quarries are there and the structures are there, and it doesn't make sense that that's the case. It's it's unbelievable to, to see something like, even if you if you go back to the unfinished obelisk, the one in Aswan that is well known in Egypt. If you haven't looked into that, go and Google right now and look up the Aswan unfinished obelisk in Egypt. This is a 
unbelievable feat of achievement. It's a complete obelisk going from top to bottom that was, I don't know, let's say 60 to 70% quarried out of the bedrock, but the remaining 30 to 40% is still there of the bedrock. So you can see the process stopped halfway, approximately, where they were taking something that is of a hardness level that's daunting to us now, and literally scoop, it seems to be, based on the marks that are left in the stone, they were kind of scooping it out of the bedrock. So they're scooping it out bit by bit and then flattening the sides that need to be flattened and cutting the corners that need to be cut. Now, the conventional way of explaining this is that they used stone balls, which they bounced off the bedrock in order to chip away at this over ridiculous lengths of time. Now, if you go as well on YouTube and have a look at this description in action, you'll see for yourself that it makes no sense in terms of explaining the splendor and the amaze, amazing nature of these unfinished works that are just sitting in the bedrock in megalithic sites all over the world, especially in Egypt. That's not a good way of describing how these were built. If you just take a critical eye for one moment, you'll notice that that doesn't make sense. You'll understand that that doesn't make sense. Now, am I proposing a solution for how that was made? Like, no, I don't know the answer. There's lots of excellent speculations, including on the Ancient Architects channel and many, many more about how this was built. People have been writing books and stories about that for hundreds of, well, for hundreds of years, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years, we have accounts of how those things came about and musings and contemplations about how those things came about. So to say that we have, for lack of a better word, a concrete understanding that's set in stone about these things um, is just a disservice to them. It's a disservice to this thing that we're looking at with open eyes. You just see it there. You're like, they were doing something else. Whoever did this was doing something else. There's no way that this was quarried out in its entirety, something this big, without some other thing that we're unable to understand or something that we can't see or something that we, for which we don't even have the key to understand. You know, it's like a level of understanding, a level of knowledge that isn't even obvious to us nowadays. Um, you know, it, there, there is no set answer. We just don't have that answer. There's no consensus. The consensus is incorrect. It doesn't explain, physically speaking, how you can quarry stone in that magnitude to that accuracy using the technique that is left as a tattoo in the stone. So that's the unfinished obelisk in Aswan. The, the thing that I'm mentioning from the intro of this part is actually this Acherus site in Egypt where there's a 1,500 ton unfinished obelisk and something roughly the same size which is a colossus i.e. a huge huge statue that's also being cut from the bedrock in one stone piece. Truly truly incredible, truly amazing. Then there's then the other site which I mentioned Zayat al-Sultan which contains 
massive blocks, a bit like the blocks in Lebanon, like the stone of the pregnant woman, that are upwards of 2,000 and 3,000 tons. So the stone of the pregnant woman, as far as I understand, I think is 1,200 tons. That's something that on Baalbek, Lebanon's um, existing site, you can go and see it, you can touch it, you can see it, it's right there. It's a piece of stone, a single megalithic block that was being cut from the bedrock that's being raised and scooped out of the bedrock. It's already much further quarried than the unfinished obelisk in Aswan. It's actually, it seems to be like they were they were pretty far along with the project when whenever they stopped. So you can see it's what, what it's going to become very, very clearly. You can see it's like 70 to 80% already the block that it was going to be. And for whatever reason, that's been left behind. There's other blocks that were not quite as quarried that are also in Baalbek, Lebanon, that are like 1,400 tons. But these ones in Egypt, in Zayat al-Sultan, are 2,000 and 3,000 tons. 3,000 tons. That's so many tons. That's a ridiculous, ridiculous size to be quarrying out of stone in a time where we attribute there was no civilization and there was no means of doing this. As if that's a good explanation that just kind of like poo-poos or gets rid of the speculation. Like, how did they do this? How did they quarry this? How did they have the accuracy? How is that so straight? Why is this a 3,000 ton unfinished megalithic block sitting in the middle of Egypt in a, in a stone quarry? We would struggle now. I don't even know how we would quarry with that precision a 3,000 ton megalithic block out of bedrock. Obviously, it would depend on the hardness of the stone. You know, limestone is easier than granite, but a lot of these are granite. We're talking like granite and diorite. This is the, these are stone materials that are not easy to manipulate, even with our diamond technology and all of the computer power that we could come up with now. Those would be humongous, intense projects where you'd have to get a lot of really good minds together with all the best equipment and a lot of money and a lot of time it seems like these things were effortlessly being scooped out of the pits of these quarries. It, it, makes, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And it's only now, because of the advent of the internet, that these sites, which were discovered a long time ago, are actually getting a bit of airtime. There's a lot of really excellent channels that have now got a good reach, and they're actually showing people all over the world, look, look at these things. My dream as the host of the show is that even just one person listens to this at some point in time, writes down these quarries and just Googles them, looks at it and just gets fascinated by these unexplained mysteries that are sitting there in plain sight. And if that's all this show ever does, it's just one person just gets into it and just starts looking into these things a little bit deeper, starts questioning things a little bit more, starts opening their mind and opening themselves to other possibilities than what is just given to you, then that would be an amazing way for this show to evolve. For now, it's just a single person who's been so impacted by all of this information and the stuff that I've been learning over the last decade that I couldn't help but to share it. I just had to have an outlet to share this stuff because it's too mind-blowing for a single mind to comprehend. 
And um, there's another reason why here in the early parts of this podcast, why I'm giving out these big shout outs and basing episodes on the people who, and the work of the people who have inspired me the most, the likes of Brian Forster, the likes of Uncharted X, the likes of Ancient Architects, the likes of the Ascend podcast, the likes of Graham Hancock, Robert Bavall, Robert Schock, John Anthony West. There's an endless number of people, Robert Wagner, Wim Hof. There's literally an endless number of people that, in my humble opinion, should be heard of more and whose work should have more exposure and more ears and eyes on it. Billy Carson, Hugh Newman. There's there's literally too many to name in this one episode. But for this particular episode, we're talking about Ancient Architects and his amazing contribution to the subject. And it was really, really stunning for me that there's been this 3,000 ton stone block unearthed in Egypt a fairly long time ago. I think it was 5, 10, 20 years ago, something like that. But it's just not really being spoken about because it's not on the usual tourist trail in Egypt. So it's my opinion that we need to be open to the idea that we don't know anything about how the ancients manipulated physical matter or what their understanding was of physical matter and how it relates to consciousness, how it relates to time, how it relates to all kinds of concepts that are very, very deep and esoteric and have a lot of, lot of substance to them. It doesn't mean necessarily that they had mechanical or computerized diamond technology or any things that we would consider today to be technology. It's, it's my humble opinion that perhaps there was more. Perhaps there is more. Perhaps there is still more. And we just don't have the access to it. We just don't have the key that gives us the understanding. All we have is the remnants, the evidence, these things in stone, the unexplained... Um, hominids and so on that are being found in, and their skeletons are being found, all of these really crazy mysteries of the past that, you know, the Antikythera device, there's a whole episode on that, what what dreams are, all of these strange phenomenon that we go through, like synchronicities and deja vu, it seems like there's a lot that we don't know, is essentially what I'm saying, and I really have no idea how a lot of this has come together and all I'm doing is essentially absorbing this information and I like to speculate as much as the next guy but it's not my place to say this is the way this is the reason which seems to be the the accepted explanation for a lot of these anomalies is well it's this this and this and if you say anything else or you don't agree with this explanation you're wrong you're crazy and that, that to me just doesn't make sense when you look at these things critically, when you start following experts who are talking on these topics, who actually understand them and who are actually looking at them through the lenses within with which you need to look at these things, then formulate your own opinion. Then, you know, you never know where you might end up once you start opening your mind. So it's amazing to be part of this community. It's amazing. It's an amazing time at this time where there's so much technology available to us and where we can share ideas and so on. And every single week there seems to be new discoveries, there seems to be uh, rediscoveries, like things that have been discovered in the past that are kind of getting looked at more deeply, and things are not getting more clear. If anything, they're getting more curious. 
more you know there, there are certain things that as we learn them yes we can make new assumptions and so on but there's all these things that are just getting older that are just getting bigger that are just getting more complex more insane and you you have to kind of sort of think what what there there's just so much here it's 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 like a never-ending looking into the past seems to be a never-ending story and as soon as we seem to have a grasp on how old civilization is or how a certain peoples were in a certain region of the earth and how they went from here to there and they influenced them and blah 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 that that just gets thrown out the window every week nowadays with all these different discoveries that are coming out the falling of the clovis theory that used to explain how people got to the americas the ridiculous unexplained megalithic structures that are visible all over the world it seems to me like we're it's I, to quote graham hancock we are on the precipice of something we're just about to kind of get closer and closer to this understanding that we are not the pinnacle we are not the very very top of civilization there have been other cycles there's been a whole history in the past involving humankind and other types of hominids that were on this earth and that is a story that is continuing to unfold and how exciting and another thing that seems to be the cornerstone of all of these esoteric teachings and ancient stories and things that keep getting digged up and dug up and the expansion of consciousness around the world that's happening at the moment is that what will provide us with the most grounded view for our lives, for looking into the past, for looking into the future, for understanding all of these topics, for understanding ourselves, is love and compassion and care for one another and care for your own life and care for the people around you. So we definitely went down some, some tangents there. Like I said, go on the Ancient Architects channel, clue yourself up into a lot of the content that um, that awesome guy Matt is putting together. And... Um, there's so much stuff out there. Go out there, Google some of these topics, make your own minds up. Don't just accept what's given to you. And hey, if you look into all of this and you, at the end of it, come to the understanding that you believe the mainstream explanation does fit and it is the right thing to follow and to say like, nope, that we do actually know these things. This is what's in the textbooks and I agree with that. Then fair enough. Power to you. That's That's... If that's your truth, then cool, man. Do it. That's there's you're you're never going to be looked down upon for doing that if you've done the work and you've done the research. That's absolutely cool. My my whole thing is to make your own opinion on things, question things always, be willing to question things always, and no matter what you opinion you come to, you should be questioning it constantly and challenging it. Yeah, I guess with that in mind, we're coming towards the end of this episode. It's been a pleasure, as always. I hope that you found a lot of value in this and that you keep tuning in. It's a really great outlet for me to get these ideas out and the things that I've been researching, that I've been kind of getting into and um, expect much more. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you guys again next week. So thanks for tuning in and catch you next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Question This Life.
You can listen to the podcast at questionthislife.com, as well as all of the main podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and get involved.